0: Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Seems like a good week to take a wonderful journey. It's episode 484 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. I'm James Witham, and you know, it was so fun talking about a great comic story last week. I thought I'd do it again this week. I get a chance to sit down with Mark Bernardi. You might know him for his you know teamwork with Kevin Smith on some of his projects. He's also written TV movies, things like that. Well, did you know that he's got a graphic novel from Dark Horse called Adora and the Distance? It's an amazing. Fantasy story about a young girl who goes on a journey. She's royalty, but she doesn't necessarily feel like royalty sort of thing. I don't want to spoil anything else. In case you haven't had a chance to read it yet, the first volume is available from Dark Horse. I sat down with him for an exclusive interview at Comic-Con, so I wanted to share that with you this week. And is there going to be a volume two? I guess I'll have to ask him. See if we can pry that out of him. I'm also going to talk about the first couple of episodes of the Ahsoka series series. Going to talk about the Metalocalypse movie from Adult Swim and Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment as well. Also, Bob Barker. I'm going to talk about Bob Barker this week. I, know I normally don't talk about, about people in entertainment that pass away. I had to talk about Bob Barker. There's going to be a new voice of Mario, too, apparently. I'll talk about that and some of the big trailers that dropped this past week as well. But again, let's talk to Mark Bernardi writer of Adora and the Distance. We'll talk about that graphic novel next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Elliot Hall And Donna Gate. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One of the things I love about Comic-Con is being able to revisit books that maybe you didn't get a chance to read or maybe you haven't read for a while. And Adora and the Distance was certainly one that popped up on my radar, thanks to the folks here at Dark Horse, and when I saw Mark Bernardi was going to be here talking about it, I was like, I gotta get this guy <laughs> over here to talk about it. Mark, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing incredibly well. I cannot feel my feet anymore. My knees are powder and my back is fused, but the the spirits are high. It's a Comic-Con.
0: I was saying, I, I've, I've never felt my age more at a Comic-Con <laughs> than I <have> this year. <laughs> That's kind of where
1: I'm at right now. Yeah, for real.
0: So, talk about the journey for this book, too, though, because it started out digital and then you wind up getting the trade paperback from Dark Horse to talk about the progression from going from digital to this trade.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it was always the hope. It was always the dream, uh, at least for me, because I'm an, I'm an old enough person um, that comics almost don't feel like comics until you can hold it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is no denigration whatsoever to anybody who makes web comics and anybody who lives in that digital comic space. That is just me, as you know, the dude who, who, whose first comics were like savage sort of Conan yep. and the Secret Wars and like the early 80s. That's kind of just how I, my body interprets the thing to be real. And so, Comicsology Originals was a wonderful program. They were incredibly good to me. They let me tell the story that I tried to tell for a very long time. And they were the right place at the right time. And when they told me, said, like, oh yeah, we're also going to output Prince to Dark Horse. It's like, Dark Horse? Yeah, Ooh, that's sexy. <laughs> Thank you. i would to be
0: a dark horse comic. for sure. For sure. For <laughs> anybody that might not be familiar with the story, though, talk about it a little bit. Introduce us to the story. For somebody who might be coming to this fresh.
1: Um, yeah, "A in the Distance" is uh, it's born of my love um, for fantasy, for high fantasy, for Lord of the Rings, for The Hobbit, for The Princess Bride, for for any any quest story. And so it's about a 10-year-old girl who lives in this sort of fantastical um, port city in Spain, pretend, whatever, we made up all the names, um, but who is sort of called to destiny by her dreams, which tell her that there's a force called The Distance that's coming, it's going to race everything and everyone she knows and loves, and so she takes it upon herself to quest to find a way to, to save everything. And along that course of that quest, she meets a bunch of knights, and ladies waiting, and underwater pirates, and lava monsters, and all kinds of cool, fun, weird things that one encounters in a quest story. It is also the story of uh, an autistic child who is learning to progress through the fantasy world of her own creation into the well, real world. Sorry, I may or may not have spoiled the end of the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So it does operate on these two sort of wavelengths. You know, one is born of my love for for quest stories. The other, born of my love for my daughter, who is on the spectrum.
0: So obviously, this is a very personal story for you. And, and I have a son, son spectrum as well. And when you encounter things like this, it, it there's there's always a, a certain I shouldn't say always. There's usually a certain tone to it. It's more of an in your face type of thing, something like that. But this book is not like that at all. And I just adore this character so so much so so how are you able to you feel like weave that weave those two things together so perfectly because I, I love the way that you present her and her story and who she is I think it's just beautiful
1: yeah I mean I, I knew very early on like when when my daughter was diagnosed and as a writer all of the life that you live is part of the grist for the mill of the story of you tell and so writing about autism writing about my experience was probably something I was going to do but I knew I didn't want to be the focal point of it. Like, I'm the least interesting person in this story. Um, the question that I have, and still have, and haven't answered, is what's going on inside of her head. Yep. And this, for me, was the, this is my version of it. This is my imagination of it. And so I didn't want it to be about that, but I wanted autism to be a part of that story. Um, and I was also very mindful of telling a kind of ableist story from an ableist perspective when the, the autism community, the community on the spectrum is a vast one. And, you know, if you meet one kid with autism, you met one kid with autism. That's
0: exactly right. Because yeah, it right.
1: manifests in so many different ways. So, you know, I was just hoping to be, to be kind of fair and candid and um, sort of open arms with the story to be able to invite people in who either have no experience with autism, who have deep lived experience with autism as either a person on the spectrum or family member or friend or what have you and just let everybody kind of come to the story as they want to. If you know nothing about it and you just want to have a quest story, it's there. If you just want to like find the metaphors and the parallels within the two lives, they're also there too. Um, But it was important to not shut anybody out um, and to maybe allow people to understand a little bit of what that life might be like.
0: I gotta say the heart of this character of Adora is it's very rare to find a character with this much heart, never mind at 10 years old. I mean, minor spoiler here, when she's having dinner with prisoners down in the dungeon and she's royalty, you just don't see that. So how, how do you have a character with this much heart that is just one of the most altruistic characters I think I've ever read in anything?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the... Uh, I do believe that kids are inherently good. And if they turn bad, it's because they were raised bad. Um, and so I think that if you, at least in this story, we, we just present a child who hasn't known very much adversity, but who is curious about everything, um, and lets the world kind of teach her as it goes. And so she's open to everything and everyone, um, and she cares about everything and everyone. And, and you find children like that all the time. Yep. You know, Sometimes it's siblings, sometimes it's whatever, but they're just kids who are just like, hey, how are you? Can I get you something?
0: My kid you want to play? My kid hugs people for no reason whatsoever. Just just hugs them. Yes,
1: exactly. Why (laughs) would you? It never occurs to a kid not to do so. That's right. Until we as parents tell them not to do so. And so trying to imagine, like, what is the most kid kid you can (laughs) encounter who just lives life as if it's a hug waiting to be given, um, I, I found that just kind of aspirational in a way. Because we can't live that way. We have to lock our doors. But what if you didn't? You know, what if you could just be innocent? That
0: is so, so true. And talk about that dual innocence because she has her friend Esperanza who come,
1: goes along with her. Talk about that friendship between the two of them a little bit. Um, I, I, I do not have a lady-in-waiting myself. Uh, I, I, <laughs> it is not part of my upbringing to have <laughs> uh, sort of royal courtiers and, and, and attendants. But I love that it was an older sister relationship, that it was a, a somewhat friendship plus. Because, um, you know, again, if you read quest stories, Frodo needs Sam. That's right. You know, you kind of need that the, the person, you know, Lone Ranger does, well, Tonto doesn't need the Lone Ranger, but the Lone Ranger needs Tonto. Oh, yeah. Like Batman needs Robin, like that, that, that twin pair, you know, like Captain Kirk needs Mr. Spock. And so the idea of having two people who were together and wedded together and bonded together, who care for each other so deeply that one of them will do something awful to the other, out of love. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that also happens. You know, you, you care so deeply for a person, you make a choice for them that they wouldn't have made for themselves. And the the love that they share allows also for forgiveness, which I also thought was an important, important thing to put in a story, that we can make mistakes um, and we can be forgiven for them. Absolutely, and you you talk about your love of fantasy,
0: which is all over this book and and all over things that you've talked about and done throughout your career. How do you choose what you add and what you don't in stories like this? Because if it was me, I would have a hard time not just throwing stuff out there all over the place, but you do such a great job of picking and choosing, so how did you pick and choose for this particular book what sort of elements you were going to bring in?
1: Um, I think that those choices end up getting made because how they serve the story or don't. You know, the story is always the king slash queen. Um, it's, the, it's the rail that you have to kind of guide to, and the character story, the emotional story. And so the things that we got to throw in there were like, how do we use these things to reflect a different thing about our main character? How do we use these events, these encounters, these conflicts to both illuminate her story and her quest? And, and add some detail and character to the people she's questing with and, and add things like sacrifice and death. Like, there's death in this book because, yeah, the entire Fellowship probably shouldn't have made it through The Lord of the Rings. Like, <laughs> that yeah, is very true. Boromir buys it early, but everybody else makes it and probably shouldn't. If he
0: have. wasn't played by Sean Bean, that might have been another story. I know, but, <laughs> ah, this guy can make it,
1: right? <laughs> Um And so all of the events, all of the, the, the plot, was all in service of the character, and if there was a thing that couldn't service the character but was cool, it ended up getting cut, for sure. Talk about the character
0: designs, especially for these fantasy elements as well, because you've got an amazing artist on this book, but you've
1: got to come up with designs
0: that are somewhat unique as well, so Mm -hmm. talk about what that process was like.
1: Um, A lot of it was Ariella, and my artist, just going to town. I, you know, I gave her character descriptions and everything. I told her, like, kind of color schemes, and this guy's fat, this guy's haunted, this guy's whatever. You know, Adora should feel precocious and bright-eyed, but there's still a level of maturity that belies her age, all that shit. But then she would go in and start, like, here's what 14th century Moroccan merchants would wear. Here's here's (laughs) the patterns that they would, you know, have on their clothes. Here's, like, she went so deep and so hard in like the character design, in the world design, in the, oh yeah, no, we're gonna put a lot of these kinds of roofs on the buildings because in Spain at this time with the Moroccan influence and the Moorish invasion and all this, this is how it felt. All stuff that I am not prepared or educated or equipped to do, but for her, building the world was its own character, deciding how they looked and, and how the characters looked and need to fit in with the world, and it was this gargantuan this job that she just did, I'm not gonna say effortlessly, because I saw how much effort it took. <laughs> but gladly. Like it was never like, hey, could you do me a favor and just research Turkish architecture? She would just send me images of her looking. That's awesome. For it. And and that's the kind of dedication she brought to it. And if you look at the book, it shows. All of it shows. And all of it came from her. No doubt about that. Was there a character as you were going
0: through putting this story together that you were as you're writing, you're going to yourself, Maybe I need to give people more of this character because you were finding more and more that this was a character that you were following in love, in love
1: with as you were creating the story. Um, yeah, I think it's Esperanza was the one. I mean, Esperanza could have stayed in the castle. You know, she could have just been a lady in waiting who doesn't go on the quest. I'm not built for a quest. You know, but but the more I start to to work that relationship, the more it felt as if this was the ride-or-die version of these characters. These two would kind of be sort of a pair bond that would last, if not to the end, then close to the end. Um, because the more I wrote them together, the more it was fun to write them together. Ultimately, it got selfish. Like, this is fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you're supposed to be having fun, because then we can have fun. Why right are we on. not all having fun? That's right. Yeah. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to anyway. This is a story Ooh. that I feel like needs a little bit more. Could we see Adora again?
1: Um, it's funny in that I've had, I've had conversations about multiple projects that were designed to be done in ones. Um, Adora was always designed to be a self-contained story. Um, a short film that I made called Splinter was always designed to be this 20-minute Twilight Zone episode. But the more I've talked about the people in the process of making it, um, both the book and the short, the more I talk to people who've read it or ingested it or seen it, the more I talk to the people that I had been in business with, it's like, is there more to the story? I'm like, yeah, you know, there might be more to the story. I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know exactly when it'll come. I'm not in a big in a big rush to to kind of do a thing to do a thing, but it's it's a, it's kind of in there, and it's starting to percolate a little bit. It's starting to take its time uh, to marinate, but maybe. Well, while that's rattling around,
0: getting marinated, getting ready to put on the smoker, whatever, make sure you're getting a door and the distance. The trade paperback version is available from Dark Horse wherever you can get your books, your comics, things like that. You can order it online. Whatever you need to do, get this book because it needs to be in your life. Thanks so much, Mark Bernardi, for
1: taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. It
0: was just so great. It was like, you know, I felt like I'm sitting down with Mark Bernardi and with just a couple dads talking about a great story about a young girl, right? And you could tell he pours all of his fatherhood into this story for sure it's just such a wonderful story adora is a great character there's so many great characters that surround her as well and then once you you might get caught up in that but then you see the amazing art that is throughout this story and this is one that not only you can you can enjoy this as an adult for sure but this is one you can read with your kids too and this is maybe it could be one of those gateway things for them into comics and into graphic novels and things like that, and you show them. Hey, kids, it's not all about superheroes. There's some really good fantasy stories, being told out here as well. And Mark's just such a good storyteller too. It's not just that that he's clearly a good dad; he's such a good storyteller too. So I was so happy to get a chance to sit down with him. And thanks to him and the folks at Dark Horse for being able to make that happen at Comic Con. Make sure you're getting Adora in the distance, wherever comics are sold. Go to DarkhorseComics.com. If you can't find a copy, they'll help you track one down there. I'm sure. But you know, you can always ask your local comic book shops. You can act, ask your bookstores. You can go to Amazon. However, you got to get your hands on this thing. Do it because it is a wonderful story. I think you are really gonna love. Again, thanks again to Mark Bernardi and the folks at Dark Horse for joining me at Comic Con to talk about Adora in the Distance. Up next, let's talk about another great female character, shall we? I'll give me a spoiler-filled review of the first couple of episodes of the Ahsoka series from Disney Plus. I'll do it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's
0: Guardians of the Galaxy, and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And
1: you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Star Wars Rebels fans, rejoice. Season 1 of Ahsoka is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Of course, they released it kind of early on Tuesday night, the first couple of episodes. But I wanted to do a spoiler-filled review of those first couple of episodes since, you know, it's, you know, comes out in a couple days, the third episode, so I can't really talk about that one, but I did want to talk about the first two, and this one, actually, to me, I know everybody's stoked about this right now, but I feel like it got started off a little slow for some reason. It kind of dragged on a little bit, and and maybe it was because of, you know, Ahsoka was a little bit chilly in this, especially in the first episode. You could see, and, and obviously, for, for good reason, right? When you know that Thrawn is still out there, and you're trying to find the map, and everything like that, and she goes through the trouble to get the map, and then Sabine loses it, sort of thing, and you know, the tension between her and Sabine, so it was a little uncomfortable, at first, I'm not gonna lie, but I just feel, I felt like it dragged on, a little bit, and I actually thought that it was interesting how we start off, kind of like how we almost always start off with something new from Star Wars, where there's kind of a siege on a ship, you know, I, I get it, when you got a familiar theme, you know, just go ahead, and keep using it when you see Balin and, and Shin get Morgan out of captivity there. I mean, it kind of made sense that they that they had to do that early on. But at the same time, I was like, eh, I don't I don't know. I wasn't upset about it. I just thought it was interesting that they decided to go that route. But it's funny because one of the things that actually started getting me into this more, and I'm not saying I wasn't into it already, but it, again, I was like, this is a little slow. Once we got Sabine, once Sabine ran... Came up on the screen, and I gotta tell you, Natasha Liu Bordizzo and her portrayal of Sabine man, I love her. Loved it. Absolutely 100% love Sabine on this show. And you know, you, you sort of see things start to come together at the end of the second episode, where and I love it how the it, it took a droid to kind of give her a kick in the butt. Gives to be into kick in the butt and Ahsoka a kick in the butt too. By the way, it was the droid that kind of was the one that brought the two of them together and it's like, "Get over yourselves and let's do this." Because not only do we have bigger fish to fry, but you know, you guys have got to get on in your training. You belong as a partnership too. And I mean, Hera had something to do with it, right? And by the way, again, Mary Elizabeth Winstead need more of her, need more of Hera in these upcoming episodes for sure. Because I thought that we didn't get enough of her and I I get it maybe she wasn't the focus early focus of the show but now after the second episode I expect to see a lot more Hera and it's not just the race to find Thrawn either I thought it was interesting that they kind of pivot on that from what we were what we've been shown in all these trailers right because it seemed like it was going to be very Thrawn centric but then Ezra it's also the search for Ezra as well like hey, if if Thrawn's still out there then Ezra could still be out there right so then you, you you know for some reason I didn't put two and two together on that one. So that was a nice little surprise for me. And again, it's, that means a heck of a lot to Sabine as well. So that's another thing that kind of, you know, kind of got her going too, is that, okay, well, if, if, if this is a quest to find Ezra, they're absolutely doing that. And everybody wants to find Ezra, right? Everybody in that group that, you know, from Rebels wants to find Ezra and also wants to make sure that Thrawn is not going to be a problem as well. So that's kind of where this was going. And I will say that, Balin and Shin make a very interesting combo, especially Shin. She's got those dead eyes, man. I don't know if it's just if it's like the almost like the bleach blonde hair or the way they did her makeup or something, but like her that expressionless look that she has all the time, and it 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 just makes her that much more creepy and evil to me. And especially when she was standing with that Inquisitor against Ahsoka, and you know Ahsoka is the more experienced. In the force and wielding the saber, right. So I, I didn't have any. I, I didn't think that Shin would be able to beat her at all. But you know, with an Inquisitor, you know, makes it certainly makes it a little bit more interesting. Anyway, so that was a night. Nice, that was probably the best lightsaber duel that they had in these first couple of episodes. I thought a, a couple of the other ones were a little sloppy. You know, not quite up to snuff. But maybe part of that was, you know, Sabine's lack of experience. I thought that saber battle could have been better, but her maybe that highlights her lack of experience. Maybe that was on purpose. And we'll sort of see that gradually get a little better. And she even admits, like, you know, she wasn't keeping up with her training exactly. You know, just kind of grab your lightsaber and hope for the best. Sort of thing. I guess that's what she was doing. So maybe that maybe that's on me. Maybe I need to chill out a little bit. But even I thought, you know, even Ahsoka's first you know, around with a lightsaber when she was dealing with those droids, I thought it could have been a little bit better as well. But anyway, it just seemed a little slower than I would have expected for an experienced Jedi. And, and even, you know, Balin, maybe it's because he was old, I don't know, but the late Ray Stevenson does a great job. And I like how he's, he's still, he's not necessarily a Jedi. You know, he's more, he's a dark Jedi, obviously, but at the same time, you could tell, you know, he's con- conflicted through the force. Which is interesting. And he's certainly not afraid to tell Morgan exactly what he thinks and what to expect. And Morgan just wants, wants Thrawn. Morgan wants to get Thrawn back. Period. And I like how they worked that back in. They brought the Battle of Lothal into this as well to tie that in. To be able to you know make the Thrawn story make sense a little bit more. And him being in exile. Things like that. I thought that that, that was a very good way to bring that back about but i i really think they i at least i hope they lean in to the relationship between sabine and ahsoka and we dig deeper into ahsoka's you know past as well and that you know she walked away from her training she walked away from sabine and you know again there's a theme here is this something that she needs to deal with personally is this is this an internal conflict that she needs to be dealing with before she can sort of move on because she's so laser focused on her duty that she's not really focusing on herself. And that's something that's relatable for, you know, in everyday life. That's not just a science fiction type thing. That is something that, you know, many people could say that they deal with in their everyday lives. They're so focused on what needs to be done and not focused on themselves enough. And, you know, that can be that can be a problem. So I, I hope that we get a little bit more focus on that. But as long as we get more Sabine more Hera, and them all together too, I think that that's really going to be great, and the action was decent, not great, I didn't think, but decent, I also thought the effects were okay, you know, I I thought that, you know, some of the, even the set pieces, I thought was like, that looks a little cheap, I'm not, I'm just being honest, I thought that some, and it was, it was very subtle, again, very subtle, not a huge deal, but I thought, man, they, they, clearly the budget was not as high on this thing as I was expecting it to be, because you compare it to, like, set pieces from The Mandalorian, and it seemed like they had a lot... It seemed like everything was a lot crisper, a lot better. And maybe it's because, you know, again, accelerate... You know, maybe there's... You know, timeline-wise, it doesn't make sense to do that. I think it does, so I don't know why the aesthetics on one show would be that much, you know, would be purposely lower than it would be on another. But it almost seems like, budget-wise, The Mandalorian definitely had more cash to spread around than uh, the Ahsoka series did, but, uh, you know, I get it. Maybe that's not the focus of this thing, and, and I'm not going to say, hey, the set pieces aren't, don't seem very good, so I don't like this show. No, I'm in it for the story, and I'm in it for the ride, so don't get me wrong. I'm just saying there were little things here and there that made me go, huh, I wonder why that didn't look a little bit better than it did, but, you know, hey, again, that's just me, and that's me nitpicking a little bit. It was still a good show. After a slow start, I thought it really picked up, especially in episode two. I thought they did a really good job with that episode. And now the chase is on, you know. The, the key has been found. And now they know, or at least they think they know, Morgan and company knows where Thrawn is. But I love how Balin basically told Morgan, yeah, Ahsoka's coming. She's going to be a problem. And I love the, it would it'd be a shame to kill her because there's so few of us left. Like, like, there's still, like, there's still, you know, a, a brotherhood slash sisterhood, right? Like, just because he's a dark, like, he's a dark Jedi, that you know, they're kind of the same. No, they're, you're not the same, bro. You crossed over, whether you want to admit it or not, or whether you think you did or not, you crossed over, dude. So you are not the same people for sure. But I think I, I got my eye on Shin. I really do because I don't know. That she she kind of like she seems like she's going to obey orders, right? And she seems like she's going to take her master's lead, but at the same time, I kind of feel like Balin's going to get conflicted at some point, and Shin's going to be like, "Hey, what you doing there?" And she's going to start to take over this try to take over this whole operation. So I got my eye on her, got I'm watching her to see what happens, and I think that she's the one that we're going to see become more and more powerful as the show goes on, and her evolution, I think, to me. It's going to be really, really interesting, and maybe will there be a rivalry that starts between her and Sabine, or is that like kind of a one-off? I'm curious to see what they do with that as well, but I I was going to watch this anyway, honestly, and you know that, this is Star Wars, and yes, I do get good vibes here. I do wish I went back and watched Rebels a little bit before I watched this to kind of refresh my memory a little bit and to kind of, you know, get back in that space again because I didn't. I didn't take the time to do that. I probably would have appreciated this more if I did. But the characters are there. The portrayals of those characters are very, very good. And that matters a lot as far as being able to enjoy this show if you're a longtime Star Wars fan. So yeah, the Ahsoka series every Wednesday on Disney+. Looking forward to see where the rest of this season goes. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the first couple of episodes of Star Wars Ahsoka from Disney+. Plus. Up next, going to dive into Adult Swim and talk about the Metalocalypse movie. I'll do that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors
1: like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it.
0: That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind.
1: This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Haley Mancini.
0: And I'm Jake Goldman.
1: And we are writers for the Powerpuff Girls.
0: And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah. Hoping for the sweet sounds of salvation, Metalocalypse, Army of the Doomstar, now available on Blu-ray and DVD and digital HD from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment. And of course, they gave me a free copy of this for review. All opinions here are my own. So let's do this. Just a few spoilers sprinkled in. Don't worry, I'll, you know, call them out just to guess I decide to drop any. But if you're a Metalocalypse fan from over the years from the show on Adult Swim, you already kind of know what's going on here or what's leading up to this anyway. But just in case you're not, you know, Toki has been rescued and Nathan's kind of traumatized by the whole thing. Not, nobody remembers what happens either, by the way. So that's an interesting little nugget in this whole thing. But I mean, just professionally, personally, Nathan's in a bad spot when you get into this movie. But he still has the challenge of writing the Song of Salvation. It's basically going to save the world. No pressure though, right? Oh, and by the way, might actually have to face off with the evil Salacia at some point. Here's the deal though. You know, normally I would try and give like a really professional review of this or something like that, right? But I, it dawns on me that if you're a Metalocalypse fan or if you're even kind of interested in this, you kind of just want to know does it suck or does it not, right? I think that's kind of where we're at with this. That's just kind of the fandom for this show. So, I will tell you right away that it does not suck. It definitely does not suck. Visually, I mean the animation in this thing is is freaking insane. It's really really good. It's animated very well, not just the characters themselves. It's pretty much the same animation you've grown to know if you watch the Death uh, Metalocalypse series. Anyway, but it's kind of taken up a notch, especially with the backgrounds and things like that really really well done, like freaking well done by all the animators involved in this thing. And you're going to see some characters that you know, some characters you might not be Expecting, and you're going to find out more information about what's been going on too. They'll actually, you know, kind of tell you about some stuff as things go along here as well. So you're going to see some some updates on some things if you're already a fan. Now, can you watch this if you're not a fan of Metalocalypse? Yeah, you can. If you just want to appreciate, you know, a, a, a fun music music centric type story that's kind of off the wall that you, if you're an adult swim fan, can you jump into this and try it for the first time? Yeah, you probably could. You're not going to appreciate certain things as much as you might, if you were already a fan of the show, but at the same time, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of get the gist when you're watching this thing. And this is a lot about Nathan, but at the same time, it's, it's about the band as well. And it's about, you know, the army of the doom star, and that's who is supposed to be going up against Salacia in the first place, and then you've got the tribunal is a part of this as well. So, and General General Cozier actually plays an interesting role in this thing. That's one thing I don't want to spoil for you, just in case you're 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 a Metalocalypse fan and you're going into this movie for the first time, but you've already watched the the series and you're not sure about the movie. I don't want to spoil what General Cozier's role is in this for you, but it's very interesting how the, you know, the band has to go to a certain place to kind of get their shit together for the for the lack of a better way of putting it, quite frankly. And they have to kind of knuckle down because Nathan's not himself to write this song. And it's just interesting. And I'm, I do want to spoil this. Like the guru that's supposed to help them write the Song of Salvation, I thought was so funny. It ends up being Nubler. And, you know, of course, everybody thinks he's an idiot. Still, right? But at the same time, it's it, they're at this, like this again, a little bit of a spoiler. They're at like this holy place, right? It's almost like a like, like with a bunch of like metal monks or something like that, right? And trying to get them to, you know, center themselves and figure out how to write this song. But that's where things take a little bit of a turn because one of the members of the band, and I won't tell you which one, actually ends up getting possessed by Salacia. Yeah. I can tell you that 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 is a spoiler alert right there, is that one of them gets possessed, and what they have to, and their role in trying to take this whole operation down, it's very, very interesting, and how that whole thing plays out. And what they do, what this person does to actually execute their plan is really interesting and really modern, too, so I thought it was very smart how they did that especially when when Nathan's as fragile as he is right it makes sense for this person to use what they used to be able to get the job done so freaking well done as far as that was concerned as well and then it's all it's a matter of quite frankly can Nathan hold it together and write this song and there is not just one song in this there's other musical elements involved in this as well there's multiple songs involved in this and you know will this will will the fans stick with the band what's the future of the band all together in this thing it's very interesting now plot wise is this kind of similar to Bill and Ted face the music yeah it it, it kind of is the gist of it anyway is but this is very much like an ultra r rated version of Bill and Ted if I'm being honest and and much more metal too by the way and it's not as funny it's funny at times it's not as funny but I mean there's a lot of gore there's a lot of guts towards the end anyway there, there isn't a whole lot of that in, in the in the beginning and the middle parts of this it's really there. there's a lot about story in this which I was very surprised about and I thought that was really neat that they kind of focused on Nathan's story specifically but the band as a whole as well and then you're throwing in characters that Metalocalypse fans are going to love anyway and then there's this like big revelation at the end of the movie that I thought was, was I mean it's almost like you know the light bulb goes off and you kind of realize everything that's really going on. And, you know, you might have already realized it before that, but still. And then there's some character deaths in here that might surprise you. And it makes you wonder, you know, what's the future of Metalocalypse? Honestly, that's kind of what it is. The music was good. I thought they did a really good job with that. The cast, of course, was amazing as usual. If you if you know these characters and you know this show, they were all back. And they were all back for a reason because they, you know, who else would bring these characters to life as good as they do? It was actually, I mean, as far as Adult Swim goes, Metalocalypse, this is a a step up for them, for sure. They did a fantastic job putting this movie together and making it for the, clearly this was for the Metalocalypse fans. I, I think you can enjoy this without having watched even an episode of the show, but at the same time, this one was definitely for the fans. And it showed because if you were invested in these characters, you get so much more out of this thing than you would have otherwise. It definitely didn't suck. If you're a Metalocalypse fan, you gotta have this one. And by the way, if you buy the Blu-ray version, there's a poster in it too, which is very cool. And you know, if you got a you got a band, you gotta you gotta have the Deathlock poster, right? Actually, it's more of like a Metalocalypse poster, but you know what I'm talking about. If you're a Deathlock fan, anyway. And if you stuck with them for this long. This is definitely something that'll pay off for you. Metalocalypse, Army of the Doomstar, available now. Blu-ray digital HD from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment and Adult Swim. So that's going to do it from our review of Metalocalypse, Army of the Dark Star... Doomstar, excuse me, Army of the Doomstar. Up next, let's get to some nerd news and some stuff that normally I wouldn't talk about. We'll talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is John Lehman. You are listening to Down and Nerdy (laughs) Podcasts. Coming on down for the final time, it's time for nerd news. And usually I don't like to talk about, you know, people that have passed away on the show or anything like that, but there are some notable exceptions, and I thought that this was one of them, quite frankly. Bob Barker passed away this past weekend at the age of 99, so you want to talk about a guy that lived a full life. Bob Barker at 99 certainly did that, but one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this was... Quite frankly, there are few people, and it, whether it be celebrities, whatever, that are a part of almost everyone's life at some point. And I think Bob Barker was one of those people that just sort of transcended that and was just a part of everyone's life. Think about it: when you stayed home from school, I don't care what, how old you are, unless you're you know not old enough to remember Bob Barker being those the Price Is Right if you stayed home from school at any point in your life, it was almost like required or like your brain was wired to put on the Price is Right whenever it was on where you were living. For me, it was 11 o'clock in the morning, every weekday, and for some reason, whether I was homesick or what, for whatever reason I was home, it was always Price is Right time. And part of it was because, you know, game shows are fun. Let's just put that out there right now. But there was just something about the Price is Right, and the way Bob Barker brought that show to life, him and Rod Roddy, remember? They were just the perfect combo together, you know, come on down, and then Bob just had this way about him with everybody, and he was just a, f- a fun guy, he made it so simple, you know, he told us how to control the pet population by having our pets paid and neutered and all that stuff. Those, These are things that are embedded into your brain because of Bob Barker. Right, and it to me, it's just he. No matter what you're a fan of, you know, whether it be nerd culture, whether it just be you know you you love game shows, you love entertainment, whatever. Bob Barker is a guy that reached out to all of those things, and just one was one of those things that people were universally a fan of. You know, there's so few things I feel like in pop culture, in entertainment, whatever, that absolutely everybody. Can be a fan of, even if you didn't necessarily love The Price is Right. Odds are, at some point in your life, you watched it just because. Maybe it's because it was there. Maybe because your parent, grandparent, whoever was watching you at the time, had it on. It was just there, and Bob Barker was a huge reason for that. If you were watching it, I know it was for me, for sure. I I loved how you know Bob Barker would you know take a little digs sometimes, you know, playful little digs of the contestants and things like that and how he would you would you could always tell when he was like trying to prod them along too to try and help them win and all those other things and just the way he presented himself it was just so much fun he had such a great way of bringing out people's personalities you know dealing with the super hyper excited people when they would get there on the stage too he sort of had his way with that and then you know who could forget bob barker and happy gilmore that's one of my favorite parts of that movie for sure when he's fighting Adam Sandler. It was just I still quote his lines from that movie to this day. It's just so much fun. And Bob Barker, I mean, he's just that guy. And I and I you know, of course, I I've missed him on the Prices Right. I love Drew Carey. It's just not the same. And and that's just because I grew up with Bob Barker. And it's not fair to Drew Carey. That's <laughs> just kind of where I'm at with that. But Bob Barker, definitely be missed, definitely a pop culture icon. And and yeah, I'm certainly gonna miss him for sure speaking of things that i missed i had no idea i don't know when this was announced i don't know how it slipped by me but apparently charles martinette's retiring as the voice of mario where was i at when this was decided and why wasn't i consulted either by the way now maybe part of this is because of everything that happened with the super mario brothers movie right or maybe just charles Martinet feels like it's time to pass the torch whatever It just so he's just not going to be the voice of Mario anymore going forward. And they actually have betting odds as to who's going to be the next Mario. Usually I kind of skip over stuff like this when it gets to my email. But I was was sent something from, from SportsLens at a place called Bovada, who sent odds for the betting odds for who's going to be the next voice. Of Mario. Now, of course, for entertainment purposes only, I want to make sure I put that out there. And I thought that the favorite was actually pretty interesting. Dan Castaneda is the favorite at 30 to 1 odds to be the next voice of Mario. And I'm like, from The Simpsons, yeah. And you know what? I could actually see that. That kind of makes sense to me. I could see him being a very good Mario, actually. And then you've got Chris Pratt at 41. That's just consistency. But here's the deal. Chris Pratt's not going to have time to voice Mario in all these video games. So unless they're going to use unless he agrees to like an AI type thing, which I can't imagine he would do, I just don't see it being Chris Pratt. He'll still be the voice of the character in in the movies, I'm sure, but as far as video games go, I can't see it. Nancy Cartwright was also on the list at 40 to 1. So we've definitely got a Simpsons connection. Hank Azaria was 60 to 1. Pete Davidson was 50 to 1 and I really 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 hope that doesn't happen. But some of the other names on this list made me me laugh. Nick Cage is on this list. Al Pacino is on this list. Trey Parker and Matt Stone from South Park. Joe Pesci I thought was hilarious. I I, I almost want that to happen once just so I can hear it. We also have Robert De Niro was in here. John Cena was on here as well. Matt LeBlanc from Friends. Was on here. Seth McFarland's even on the list, 101 odds, but still. Stanley Tucci, I thought was an interesting choice. Bradley Cooper. So, I mean, I actually wouldn't have thought off the top of my head of Dan, of Dan Castaneda, Castaneda, and it just makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I actually think that Dan would do a really good job at it, and I, I think that you, you see her, okay, Nancy Cartwright, yeah, okay, Don't don't count her out. That's actually an interesting one. But if if Chris Pratt really wants to fully embrace this role, then maybe he will decide that he's going to make time to do this. Although, you know, voiceovers for video games, even if it's something for Mario, it's kind of time-consuming, right? So maybe he'll do it, maybe he won't. Maybe there is one of those things where you can just, you know, sort of dub certain things and just get royalties every time it's used or something like that. And You wouldn't necessarily have to go into the booth to do... This every single time, so yeah, I think that the betting odds are are very interesting. I think it's fun. I'm gonna miss Charles Martinet though, no matter what. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss him as the Voice of Mario. I'm glad that they gave him a, a nice cameo role in the in the Super Mario Brothers movie. I hope that he continues to do stuff like that on occasion, and I hope this isn't retirement from him from voiceover altogether because he's just he's so good. He's so good at it, and I'd hate to lose him. For sure. Here's something that, as a fan of physical media, I think is really interesting. Did you know the Mandalorian season one and two, Loki season one, and Wandavision are getting physical release? Yeah, and they're steel books too, which makes it really, really nice. And I think it's a Blu-ray and 4K. And and you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Loki's going to be the first to come out on September the 26th. Then then Wandavision will happen on November the 28th. And then you've got the Mandalorian season one and two will drop on December the 12th. This is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, they, they probably had no plans to do this ever because why would they, right? And second, to me, this kind of signals something that I've been waiting for for a long time and I've been telling you guys to do for a long time and that is focus more on physical media because, you know, stuff's starting to go away left and right you got stuff starting to go away, be pulled off, being pulled off streaming services. You think it's going to be there forever. It's not, by the way. And you're starting to realize that. So now, people are turning more and more to physical media. I know that they've got you know digital releases of some of this stuff already, too. But even the digital HD stuff, if it's just on digital, you can't count on that forever. But as long as you take care of those discs and those players, that is forever. So keep that in mind. So this is something I'm really interested in, not just because the steel books look amazing, by the way, but because this is something that I want to add to my collection. This is something I want to be able to have a physical disc of. And, you know, you could say what you want about WandaVision, whether you loved it or not, Loki, you loved it or not, Mandalorian, whatever. This is a good sign that if you push for something enough, there's a chance that you're actually going to get it. And this is one of those things that you can push for and not be annoying and if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But this is a good sign that if you if you start clamoring enough for, for, for physical media, you can get it. And again, this is another way to profit off shows that have been out forever for Disney. So I, from their perspective, you don't have to make a ton of them either. You know, just why not? Why not do this has always been my question. I know it costs money, blah, blah, blah. But then the, you did it the right way. You're putting out steelbooks. You're making gonna put a production. I think they're gonna be like, each set's gonna be 50 bucks, and you're thinking, whoa, that's it's pretty steep." Yeah, it's steep, but you know what? It's a 4K release. The price point's not that bad, even for Blu-ray. I think it's around the same price, but the price point is not really that bad when you're talking Steelbook and you're talking full seasons of a series too. Now I know it's not a full like 22, 23 episodes, but still, this is something that you know it's it's really worth the price, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I'm get, I might not get them all but I'll definitely get the Mandalorian for sure. And that's right around Christmas. So why wouldn't you just go ahead and do that? And this is actually the Loki's interesting. Cause that one's kind of timed almost to the release of season two of the show, which is going to be a few weeks later. So it was really smart that they did that. They're, that they're going to do that one first. Maybe I'll get them all. Who knows? Just a matter of, you know, do you want to spend the money sort of thing? Right? So yeah, looking forward to the physical releases of these. I'll try and keep you updated on that down and nerdypodcast.com and I mean, I'm adding these. I'm, I think that you know, if you're a fan, do it. That's just my opinion. So let's talk about some trailers that dropped over the week. We've got Frazier kind of dropped its first teaser, but not really. Like it was just one of those, you know, it's like a, a like a flowing drawing sort of thing. You don't get any actual footage from the show. They did release a few photos, though. Man, Kelsey Grammer looks old. No shade to you, Kelsey, but at the same time, I mean, seriously. It's just, it's interesting to see him, you know, because when you think, you think Frazier and your mind goes back and you forget, it's been so many years since he's played this character and you've seen Kelsey Graham and other stuff before. You knew how, how, how old he was, but he just looks so much older in these pictures for some reason. And of course, you know, he, he's moved back to Boston. His, his Frederick's a firefighter now. And, you know, maybe there's some, you know, clashes there sort of thing and apparently it's it's teasing you know this new chapter in his life which we we really don't know what it is there's new challenges new friendships to forge and an old dream or two to finally fulfill those are things that are from the description from the show and people are speculating based on this teaser that you know Frazier's returning to Cheers now does he buy Cheers does he like go into partnership with Freddie to buy Cheers because you know and you see the beer sign in one of these things you know, with, with with one of with one of the friends, He's in, and they're carrying the beer sign around, so that's kind of a winking out of, oh, maybe there's something to do with a bar or something. So you don't really know, right? And you actually see one of the pictures that as that with Frazier and a couple of his colleagues. They're actually in a bar, too, one of his, a couple of his friends. So I get the speculation. I don't think they'll go there. I don't think they're fully gonna do that, but I'm interested to see what the dynamic between Freddie and Frazier are gonna be like. Since, you know, he, you know, Freddie went through all that schooling and all that stuff, and he's, and he ends up being a firefighter and following more in, in his granddad's footsteps, who, of course, you know, Martin Crane was, was a police officer. So it's not the same thing, but it's, it's similar enough, right? So I'm just curious to see what the dynamic's going to be. They reworked the theme song. Part of me was upset about that at first, and then part of me was like, you know, new chapter, you got to do something a little bit different, especially if the show's not going to be exactly like the show that was before. And the first two episodes are going to premiere on October the 17th. So we're going to find out soon enough whether or not this thing is going to be similar or not. And yep, it is finally happening. We finally got the first teaser, the full, first full trailer anyway, for Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon. That's going to be coming. Part one will be coming to Netflix on December the 22nd. Part two is in February. So this is going to be a two-part movie. And it is very much inspired by Star Wars. I mean, there's like friggin' lightsabers in this thing too already. Although I would say that, you know, you get winks and nods of Dune, you get winks and nods of 300, which I mean, of course you would because Zack Snyder, you know, did 300. So that sort of makes sense. And you see Sophia Botella, who is the main character of this movie who plays Cora. And she seems to be the focal point of this thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, this peaceful colony gets attacked by the Regent and she's the reason for it. And nobody knows that she's the reason for it, but now she's going to get this, you know, scrappy little band, scrappy little group together to sort of fight against the tyrannical forces. So yeah, this very much has familiar themes of Star Wars and things like that. But when you see this trailer, the aesthetic of Zack Snyder is all over it the same type of imagery you see in 300 Man of Steel just the way it's shot. You just look at this trailer and if you didn't tell me this was a Zack Snyder movie, I'd still still know this was a Zack Snyder movie just based on the way that the friggin trailer was shot. I mean there's a lot of cool action right You see a lot of you know cool cool mythical creatures. There's some science fiction type elements, like I said. There's friggin' lightsabers in this thing. You know, you got ships. There's a couple of droids that make their appearance. You know, it even has like a Tatooine type feel to it, <laughs> a little bit too, with with the place that that this you know where this peaceful area, peaceful town is, is situated. So it's def- there's definitely an attempt here to make a new Star Wars for sure by Zack Snyder. And is he gonna be able to do it? I don't know. I mean, maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. But it could be cool, okay? I don't want to be that person that says Sny- Zack Snyder can't make anything good because Zack Snyder has made some good stuff. And if you're a Snyderverse fan and you've been clamoring for that, then you should probably support this, right? If you really want this restored, which is never going to happen, but I'm just saying, if you really want that restored, you know, show people and show these studios that, hey, we want Zack Snyder stuff and we love Zack Snyder stuff. If you support this enough, you're going to get more stuff from Zack Snyder. So, I mean, it's just, you know, something to think about as you're going about your business. And then I wanted to talk about the season two trailer for Bosch Legacy, which is going to be coming out on freebie from Amazon on October the 20th. And I'm upset because Maddie's been taken. But this is going to be real juicy because it's not only Bosch versus whoever took Maddie, right? I mean, we've seen who took Maddie. We don't really know who it is, though. So... But then it's also Bosch versus the LAPD and versus the FBI, right? Because he's not—he doesn't have to play nice now. He doesn't have to play by their rules, and he actually says that in the trailer. You know, you have to do abide by the rules and do it right. I don't, because he's not a member of the police force anymore. So him and Honey are going to kind—Honey Chandler are going to team up to try and find her on their own. And why wouldn't they? Obviously, that's his daughter, and he's gonna find her one way or another. And I don't want to be that dude. When he does find her, because I'm guessing he's gonna find her first. That's just a guess on my part. But you see the clash between Harry and the police. You see the clash between and and apparently he's gonna be him and Honey are gonna be accused of something themselves that could slow them down. So and there's a lot of moving parts in this season. And I'm and you see him pull back a sheet. You know, like, like he's getting ready to look for a body. And I swear to you right now, as I sit here, if something happens to Maddie. I'm going to be really upset, like next level upset. I'm talking to everybody that's involved with the Bosch team right now. Don't you dare. Don't you freaking dare do that to me because I am not ready for that kind of drama. I'm not ready for that right now, but I'm so ready for season two. Bosch legacy. Cannot wait to see that. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Again, thanks to my wonderful guest, Mark Bernardi, for joining me this week and make sure you pick up that graphic novel. You will not be sorry. That you did. Also, follow along with us online, nerdypodcast.com, all over social media as well, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. I say Twitter, it's X, whatever you want to call it. At downandnerdypod on TikTok, at downandnerdy on Facebook. Follow all over there. Thanks again for tolerating new shows going up on Monday. I appreciate that. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you won't miss one. So you don't have to worry about that at all. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Spotify. Whenever you want to listen, I'm happy that you do. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.
1: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favoured children. The heresies of Radolf Wine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.